Alex, what's going on? Thanks so much for being here. I, uh, I, I really appreciate you. I'm looking forward to today. Hey, Luke, I'm so pumped to be here as well. Heck yeah. You know, uh, I, how we, we've been kind of following each other for years. We got to meet in person like three years ago now, which is great uh, through kind of a mastermind group, We've kind of been friends ever since at least, uh, supporting from a distance and kind of the, the, uh, routes we've chosen to go with our businesses, the way we coach, who we coach. Uh, I've noticed at least over the last three to six months now, since I've been having guests on, there's a couple criteria for people who come onto my podcast and why I want them on the show. <clears throat> One of them is, oh, him, him or her and I uh, speak a lot alike. We coach similar people. Um, we have similar um, ideologies in how we you know, coach people and what we do with our clients. And then there's another side of the spectrum where it's like, hey, I'd like bringing people on that I really don't I had the population that they serve. I don't coach at all. And, and there, I think there's so many people in the space that are doing so many great things. You, especially, especially from an endurance side. Uh, I just, you have always been on the list since I've started this podcast and it's just, it's cool to get you on here now after, you know, a couple of years, but yeah, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on here. Not that I know nothing about fueling for endurance, but you are definitely the expert here in this conversation. And I, uh, well, I yeah. thought you were going to say it's because we're both willing to wear costumes on Instagram videos. Facts. Yeah. yeah facts. Like I, got, <laughs> I usually wear pancakes. You wear a banana costume. Like, yeah, we're just all the carbs, we're, we're fun times. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know what we're talking about today. We're talking about going key best ways to do that uh yeah, I'll be, uh, no, yeah definitely a carb fan just say keto yeah keto <laughs> honestly yeah anyone who has the uh yeah the the and the braveness to step on uh on instagram and be wearing a food costume man i just yeah i don't know i just i laugh too because uh i don't know you got to laugh at yourself and make some jokes here i think that's how you kind of connect with your audience uh, a little yeah bit. i think it's got to be fun we have to i mean food and nutrition can get really complicated and really boring and we might as well have fun with it exactly exactly well i've talked about you enough give your little uh your intro whatever you want to say um I, I already alluded to yeah you work with endurance athletes but tell us more about that tell us about your endurance story um relate that to being a dietitian like whatever you want to do just uh just do your thing yeah well um I appreciate you having me on here. I'm Alex. I live in the woods of northern Minnesota. Uh, I usually call it the frozen tundra, but winter is like bizarre. It's, you know, February and it looks like it's end of April right now. So, um, but yeah, usually I live, uh, you know, where it's really cold most of the year. And I have uh, three kids now. Uh, just added a third little baby. So aside from my dietitian career, my athlete ambitions, I also am a mom. So I've got two boys and a girl. And so I got started as a dietitian uh, 13 years ago. Um, but before that, you know, I grew up with parents that were in the healthcare field. They were in nursing. And so the dinner table was always like medical talk. And so I just thought, yeah, I'm going to end up working in a hospital, totally going to be a clinical dietitian. And then um, straight out of my internship, I ended up starting off as a supermarket dietitian. And it was so much fun. I said, oh, I'm never going into a hospital ever again. Like, this is amazing. And at that point, I had sports nutrition was not even on my radar. But for myself, I was really getting into triathlons. And I'm not like an all-star athlete. I'm very mediocre, like 
when you know, it comes to like athletic performance, but um, it was something I could do to have camaraderie with my community. There was a really big um, triathlon uh, event, uh, big cycling community, um, really active people that I could just, you know, have this great social life in a town. You know, I moved when I became a supermarket dietitian, I moved to a town that I knew no one. And so that was a way for me to just get immersed in the community. And that triathlon bug that I caught, which is very, very addictive. So if you're going to do a triathlon, just be aware that it is a sickness you get. And next thing you know, you're spending thousands of dollars on all sorts of equipment and races because it's a really fun sport. And so, um, i started triathlons in 2009. I started my career in 2010. And then by 2014, I was training for Ironman Wisconsin, which is a huge undertaking. But, um, what was amazing about that experience was, uh, you know, I was out there for 15 hours. And when I crossed the finish line, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, if I didn't know what I was doing with my nutrition, I don't know if I would have gotten to the finish line. That, that was a very vivid, like core memory of mine. And so at that point I was like, I think I need to have a, a conversation with myself about my career and helping my community, my people. Um, because the second half of a marathon during an Ironman, it's like a war zone. Okay. Like think of people crying on the sidelines with cramping, vomiting it, is ugly. Right. And so like just witnessing that and thinking of how much time and effort and money and training they put into getting to that race and having that really horrible experience in the second half of the marathon. I'm like, nutrition is a huge piece of that. Like I want to help them. I want them to feel great start to finish. And so that's what kind of spurred me to thinking like, Oh yeah, I, this is what I want to do. And so eventually I got to the point of starting Alex Larson nutrition. Um, I'm focused on working specifically with endurance athletes. So we work with runners, triathletes, cyclists, uh, mainly that's our, our primary target athlete. And we don't work with pro athletes. We work with everyday people, people that are navigating, having a full-time job, having a family, having this aspiration to PR in a race or qualify for Boston marathon or qualify for the Ironman world championships, whatever it is, the bigger, the goal, the farther they want to go, the more I'm like, heck yeah, let's do this. And so helping them navigate eating like a normal human, but also amplifying and optimizing their nutrition for being an athlete is where my goal is, is helping them kind of find that secret sauce, that middle ground for them and feeling their very best. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't want to say that that route is, uh, uh, common for people who start to find themselves uh, taking up more endurance type of training and more endurance type sports. I think, um, you know, I think having the idea of like, Oh, I want to train for a triathlon or do a marathon or, or an Ironman. And for the people who don't know what an Ironman is, uh, you can correct me, but I think it's what, like a, a two, two and a half mile swim, a hundred plus yeah. mile bike ride. You run a marathon <laughs> in it. Yeah. It's fucking psycho. Right. And, um, <laughs> that's usually, a you know, an end of the extreme that, honestly, a lot of people get curious about when you start to like yourself, it sounds like you get obsessed and you kind of get excited about the equipment and how you can train and kind of taking it on as like a full-time thing. Yeah. Like, I think that's really cool. Um, I'm curious just from out of curiosity, like being a dietitian, when you were starting to do that, did you feel like you had an advantage when it came to 
uh, taking care of your body, knowing what to eat, when to eat, or did you get into that sport? And maybe not with the Ironman specifically, maybe working your way up to it, but did you feel like, Hey, maybe I have a little bit more to learn here. Maybe I, I don't even know what I'm doing, um, for myself yet. And that sparked some curiosity of like, okay, maybe I figured it out for myself. Now I can help other people do it. Like, or did you feel like you had a good grip, like, you know, grasp on it going in? I'm just curious. Yeah. I feel like I had for what we knew in 2014 about like endurance nutrition, I felt like I had a decent grasp, but I feel like with nutrition, it's an evolution, right? So like from 2014 to now, so it's been 10 years, the, the awareness that we have around the importance of sports nutrition is exponentially higher. Also the product availability at sports fuel is so much easier for athletes to fuel more and feel better. Um, so like back then it was like goo was really popular. There's a product called heed, which I mean, was not my favorite. So I, I remember like, uh, at the eight stations, you'd be like running by and they'd be like Gatorade, Gatorade. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I grabbed the Gatorade and it would be heed. And I'd just be like, Whoa, like, Oh no, I, that was not Gatorade. You lied. Um, so, I mean, those are the things like the sports products. Now there's so many more options. I mean, I have a whole bin like in my office here of sports fuel products that I just order from the feed because they can order in single servings and like, I can try different stuff. There's hydration mixes, which is so nice to have in your bottle with higher electrolyte amounts and higher carb rates so that you actually can fuel yourself adequately. But there's there's still, I feel like this diet culture mentality where people are afraid to feel more because sugar is bad in their mind. It's evil. If I consume all this sugar, I'm going to gain weight. And so it's like, no, we need to kind of work through that diet culture mindset and being like, you truly need this to perform at the level that you're wanting to, you're wanting to qualify, you're wanting to get faster, you're wanting to have strong legs. And those last, you know, that last 10 K of your marathon, we have to fuel you well. And these you know, fuel products or this sugar is what you're, we're needing to help. So back then, you know, when I was an athlete, um, doing triathlons before I had kids, like I fueled myself for what I thought was good. But now, even when I look back 10 years, I'm like, Oh, I was underfueled. Like there's so much more than I could have done even back then. And that of course drives me to now I'm like, okay, when these kids get older, I am going to do another Ironman and I want to really see what I can do if I can feel myself truly at how I should. Cause I think back then, you know, as like a baby dietitian, I was just like, yeah, I'm eating well, but there could have been, I could have been better about it for sure. Cause even, and you could agree too, Luke, like we're human first and then we're dietitians. Like we still have like just because we know what we should be doing doesn't mean that we're always going to do it. You know, that knowing and doing is very two different things and we're still human and still, you know, have, have struggles with eating, eating really well consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I, uh, yeah, I found myself nodding my head there. Cause I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. you think back to like 2010, 2015 and again, like depending on your age, depending on how much you cared about these things. Yeah. Like there was a spectrum of how intentional people were with their fueling, with their nutrition, what they knew, uh, what they chose to research on their own, what they tried to implement. But man, I think we're beyond or kind of the days are behind us where we can overlook nutrition and we can just feel like we show up to some of these things and perform decently well. Um, at least that's what I've noticed from a standpoint of like the people who do really well, 
maybe they're genetically gifted. Maybe they've been doing it for years or decades, you know, and they've really ironed out their sport, but man, nutrition has been a really important part of that process as well. And usually like the best of the best, like, again, there's very, um, you know, there's case studies out there where people are like, oh yeah, like NFL player got McDonald's before pregame and they're, you know, they played really well, you know, it's just like, well, that's not something we, we compare ourselves to, but especially from an endurance standpoint, man, the type, the amounts, the duration of all the activities that you're doing. If you're just showing up under fueled fasting, like not really appreciating what nutrition does for you, what kind of energy systems are being used, like, and not to say you need to know all of that, but just knowing that like, Hey, there's a lot of inputs here. And in order to get the outcome that I'm looking for, it's going to be, you know, it's going to take being intentional with my nutrition. Um, and whether you are all in on that, or you're just, you're, you at least have some feel or some idea of what it's going to take to do better than just like going and casually doing these things. Like those are usually the differences between PRs continuing to show up, not being completely beat up after some of these races to the point where you want to quit and exit from the sport. And, uh, it can also feed into this obsession sometimes that you can see with like, Oh, well, how can I optimize my performance? And then you start to look towards some of these other fads or some of these other things that you're asking, or maybe your friend is doing, cause they're doing the whole diet culture thing, but that's not really overlapping into your sport. Um, so yeah, I just, I find it fascinating because man, the people who overlook the nutrition component, especially when it comes to endurance, man, they're at such a disadvantage compared to the people who maybe aren't the best genetically, maybe who haven't been doing it their whole life, but man, they're sure shit, maybe going to be a little bit better or more equipped to handle some of the stress that comes from these sports, just because they're actually doing the big rocks a little bit better than you. And I don't know, I think there's a lot of comfort knowing that you have control over that, but yeah, I, I find it funny uh, that some people just overlook it. And that's really the thing that is actually going to maybe get them to the next level of where they want to be. Yeah, it can get really confusing too. You know, when you hear so many different messagings about how to fuel, how to eat, and then you hear this diet culture messaging, and then you hear this, you know, dietitian saying, no, you have to eat, you know, all these carbs, you know, it, it does get really overwhelming and confusing. So I think it's really important for our job is to help just give people kind of like blinders and be like, no, this is what we're going to focus on. We're going to keep it simple and erase all that other noise. And let's just hone in on what's going to work best for you. I think that's also an important piece of, of what you and I do. Yeah, exactly. Especially you, especially on Instagram too. If people aren't following you, they, they need to, but <laughs> this whole like discussion around nutrition, I think a lot of words can get, um, interchanged that shouldn't be two of the words that come to mind for me is the word dieting. And then another word that I see a lot in the space is fueling and something that you choose to, to, I know, intentionally say, uh, intentionally talk about and, uh, you know, intentionally use when you're writing your captions and creating your reels and all that. Um, why do you think that is such a point of emphasis when it comes to the sports nutrition world, when it comes to working with athletes, this whole idea of like, Hey, we're dieting versus we're fueling. Like, why do you think that that's such an important emphasis to make when you're speaking to the masses on Instagram or even just working with your one-on-one clients? Have you noticed that there's kind of a, a reason or, or a message that you've been trying to get across? Yeah, I definitely don't like to use the word dieting. I think when people think or hear the word dieting, they think of restriction. And that is the opposite of how I want people to think about fueling as an endurance athlete. I want them to think of food as energy. That's something I, I keep telling my, my boys are really good about it now. They're like, um, they're like, oh, I need to eat more breakfast so that I have more energy. And I'm thinking, oh, you don't really need more energy as a four and six year old, but um, yes, you need to eat because then you need that energy to grow big and strong. But like for, for adults and 
they have conditioned their themselves to think of like, Oh, what can I cut out from my diet to help improve my body composition to get leaner? Because they associate some weight loss or getting leaner as I don't have to carry that 26.2 miles or up this hill as a cyclist, you know, I don't have to carry that excess weight around. So I'm going to restrict and lose some weight and it's going to be easier for me. But in fact, the opposite ends up happening because they're now underfueled and they don't have the energy to go 26.2 miles at the pace that they're hoping to, or climb that, that big steep hill because they don't have the fuel necessary. And so I sometimes struggle with, I'm like, do I want to use the word fueling or do I just want to use the word eating? In a lot of my captions, I sometimes go back and forth. Cause like to me for, especially for endurance athletes, even outside of fueling their workout itself, whether it's before, during, or after the rest of the day, because of the volume and frequency that they're training, I consider that those other meals and snacks that they're eating as fuel to support their recovery. That's something that they kind of forget about in terms of they think that as soon as they're done working out that their body doesn't need that extra little bit of sugar or, you know, doesn't need to eat anymore. Like they're, they're done working out. And so therefore they don't need any extra energy. And I'm like, I think you're really underestimating how much work it takes your body to recover from that workout and then also get ready for tomorrow's workout. Cause we know that you're getting up at 5am and you're going to do another workout. So that's where you have to kind of shift that mindset into, I'm not eating to lose weight. I'm eating to fuel and keep my body performing at a high level. And over time, your body will likely adapt to getting stronger, having better stamina and endurance. And you will see those performance gains, but you have to go in with the mindset of eating is there as fueling, but also, I mean, one of the perks of being an endurance athlete is you can fuel with gummy bears. You can fuel with sour patch kids. Like there's a lot of those enjoyment foods that you can use as fuel around those workouts and still get them in where normally that would feel like an indulgence and you weren't dieting, but no, we can use that as fuel and have those fun foods included in your day as well, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You bring up a really good point of, uh, when people hear the word dieting, usually it's looked at in a negative light. A lot of times uh, coming from uh, things that maybe they've tried in the past, um, the conversations that they've had with themselves around food, creating this good or bad food dichotomy of like, oh, you mentioned gummy bears or Rice Krispie treats or the stinger waffles with 30 extra grams of added sugar in it. And it's like, oh, people, especially in this dieting culture we live in, man, people associate those things with like, those are bad foods or those, those foods aren't allowed. Um, which again, puts people in this mindset of restriction and that mindset of restriction, uh, is again, usually stemmed from this idea that losing weight is going to equal better performance, or they're going to think that, Hey, if I lose five pounds, that is going to equate to maybe me getting up the hill faster, like you said, or, or finishing that mile stronger. Cause I haven't been weighed down as much or quote unquote, insert whatever you want to talk about. Um, but that brings me up to another point where it's like having weight on your frame, like doesn't mean that you are going to be slower, right? Doesn't mean that you're going to have less of a power output or um, less endurance over the long run. Because I think the other thing people get confused about is this idea of like, if I lose weight, then that means better performance. But people automatically associate weight loss with fat loss. And when they go on these, these diets or they're dieting or they're cutting out added sugars, or maybe they're restricting calories. People think that everything that they're losing on the scale is all fat. When in reality, that's usually not the case, especially in, in endurance athletes, 
um, where maybe resistance training isn't part of all of their, you know, it should be right. But maybe that's not what they're prioritizing, what they're doing every single week. And they're not eating enough calories. Maybe they don't know how much protein they should be having all things that are important to retain muscle mass when you do lose weight. So really in reality, people, when they lose five or 10 pounds, it's coming from water, it's coming from less stomach content, right? It's coming from less glycogen stores. It's coming from, yeah, maybe some fat loss, but also maybe some muscle loss too. And it's kind of that combination again, that I've noticed that, yeah, gets people to a place where their performance output is actually decreased instead of what they thought it would be. But it's kind of a mind fuck when you think about that, because we're kind of just like trying to mesh these two types of ideologies into one thinking that it's, we've got the puzzle piece, you know, we just got to put it in and we figured everything out when in reality, that's, I, I, I like that you said, it's kind of taking them further away from actually where they want to be. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, when people come to me, they're like, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, okay, do you mean that you want to lose excess body fat and maintain, if not gain some more muscle? And they're like, yes. I'm like, okay, are you honed in on the number on the scale? Is that what's most important to you? Or is it just how your clothes are fitting and how your body composition is? Like, what is important to you? Like, I always make sure that we dig into like their priority because that's going to also determine whether or not I want to take them on as a, a client to our program because if they have really unrealistic expectations, I'm like, look, this is, this is not a good fit. Like this, these are the types of athletes I want to work with it. This is not a weight loss program. This is optimized nutrition for you to be your strongest, healthiest self. And yes, we can work on body composition, but I, I can't guarantee that you're going to get to that number because I had an athlete a couple of years ago who came in, it was like May and he's, was doing Ironman Chattanooga, which is the end of September. He wanted to lose 15 pounds. And I was like, dude, I can't get 15 pounds off of you while you're training for an Ironman. There's no way. I was like, I bet we could probably see five, six pounds that come off. And he's like, oh, really? Like he was so bummed. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like five, six pounds. I was like, because to lose 15 pounds of body fat while training for an Ironman in what is that? Five months. I'm like, no way. That's unrealistic. And He's like, okay, I, I get it. He's like, and he, he still like signed on with me. And we did see like a five, six pound weight loss. I said, you need to play the long game on this. I need you to be patient. Cause if you're going to try and just lose 15 pounds, you are going to start that race already at risk for not being able to finish because you're going to be under fueled. You're going to be at risk for injury. If you would like, if not get injured before the race, you might go into the race sick. Like there's so many of these things that you need to prioritize. And number one is you feeling healthy and strong going into that race. And so by December, um, he sent me an in-body test and he had lost 17 pounds. All of it was body fat. He had maintained his weight from his original like baseline in-body test. And he said, you were right, Alex. He goes, it was painfully slow. He goes, it was like maybe a half a pound a week. He goes, but I got there and he goes, I feel like a million bucks. He, and I was like, thank God, like, thank the Lord. Like, you know, like he, he leaned into that process and came out so much stronger than if he had just done some sort of like binge restrictive, you know, cycle, which would have probably not resulted in a very good Ironman result in September. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm really happy we're talking about this because I think a lot of times maybe when like us dietitians or you see health professionals and like the, the average listener, the person who's listening to this podcast and they're, 
maybe they only hear like, oh shit, like I, I should never try and lose weight. Like that's something I shouldn't be trying to do. And, and that's not really what we're saying, right? Like all of this has exactly. to be individualized. There's context added to everything. We can talk about the the general recommendations, kind of the mindsets that we have when we speak to somebody and, and it's up to the person to like either work with a coach or see how that applies to themselves. But what I want people to hear as well is changing your body composition, improving that, spending some time, yeah, maybe losing some fat or putting on some muscle can and probably is very beneficial in a lot of certain cases, but it's just about the timing in which those things happen. Um, and, and just related to your situation, if that's appropriate, or like you said, play the long game. And maybe we have, uh, we have, uh, an off season coming up and that's when we should be actually going after some of these things where we're not five weeks out, five months out from an Ironman. Um, uh, and it's not to say that you can't lose weight, like during your like peak training season. It's just that we're going to make sure we optimize performance in your health first. And then hopefully we just get lucky and leaner body comp is just an extra bonus byproduct that happens, which honestly does happen with a ton of our athletes. Like we just, and it's not the word, I, I don't even like the the word lucky. Like it's just for us, it's very strategic in how we manage their nutrition for them. And when they, and if they've had a long-term history, and I see this, especially with our male endurance athletes where they've been like restricting for a very long time. I can think of a particular athlete that, that I'm working with right now, who he's been at like a thousand calorie deficit for a long time in his triathlon career. And he's like, I feel like borderline lethargic. He goes, I'm so hungry all the time. I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this training block. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not surprised you feel lethargic. Like you are under fueling on average by a thousand calories a day. And he's like, Oh, wow. And he's like, I was like, you need to eat more carbs. You're eating like half the carbs you should be. And he's like, I've just been focusing on protein. Cause I know I need to eat more protein. And I just needed someone to give me permission to eat more carbs. I've just been like associating carbs with being bad. And I was like, you have permission to eat carbs as like, I don't want you going wild and crazy here, but like, we need to start incorporating them throughout your day. And I asked him, I was like, is your sweat smelling like a little ammonia ish. And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That's not surprising. Cause your body is basically just using that protein as fuel. We need to start optimizing this and we're going to slowly work your way up to where you need to be. And you're going to feel like a million bucks. He didn't want to promise him that he was going to feel, feel amazing in like a week, but I I'm fairly certain here that he's going to be starting to feel way better. Um, just cause it makes that huge difference. And I'm guessing that he's probably just going to start seeing this scale tip down because when your body is starting to see that optimized nutrition, it's going to be very willing to let go of that excess body fat because our metabolism is going to be much more optimized for him. So that's kind of the fun part of my job is when, especially these guys who are like been dieting and trying to lose weight and they're like eating more than ever. And they're like, why is the scale going down, going down? What is this voodoo magic you're doing? I'm like, no, this is just us making your body happy and it's starting to build more muscle and it doesn't need to carry any of that excess body fat to use as, you know, emergency energy. And so that's, what's honestly probably my favorite part of my job. Yeah, exactly. Which, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just kind of want to summarize what I heard from you is, is like, yes, of course, there's going to be different times where maybe going after certain things is more appropriate. Um, but there's always going to be this, uh, get our 
fundamentals in place, like get our foundation ready to go so we can add things on top of that, almost like turning up the knobs to all these things. So they're at least at some baseline minimum so they can all work together instead of having this like multiplication by zero effect where, you know, your nutrition is off or you're not fueling enough or you're not eating enough carbohydrates, or maybe you're not getting enough protein. Um, and those are the things that are helping you, uh, or not helping you, but, uh, you know, keeping you at this capacity. And before you can improve, you have to get some of these baseline minimums first. Um, those are all things that, yeah, lead to positive body composition changes, whether you are mid season or in your sport or whether you're in the off season, you're taking a year off from training or, or you're training, but you're taking a year off from competitions. Um, a lot of times it's cool. Cause like you said, man, people can see a lot of really cool progress. And, and when you tell them, it's like, Hey, maybe we're not going to be intentionally going after this, but they still see that that to them could be kind of igniting this like positive feedback loop of like, Hey, what I'm doing is helping my performance. It's helping my mental health at some capacity. It's also helping my like uh, body composition and how I look and my confidence when I show up and do all these things. And those are, yeah, those are like uh, just best case scenarios when we have somebody and you can see as a coach, all these little knobs that we need to just turn up a little bit, right? We don't need to turn everything up to the max. And all these things can just kind of fall into place a little bit more. And you mentioned like, Hey, we talked about protein, getting a little bit more carbs and eating enough calories. Like if I were to ask you, what are some of these knobs that we're turning up or things that you're looking for when you're bringing on a new client or you're listening to them talk, or you're going over your, the, the programs that they're going through, what are these like, uh, big rocks that you would say from an endurance world, um, training, nutrition, sleep, whatever comes to mind, what are things that you're looking at and you're kind of helping people get to that they're seeing a lot of these cool changes happen at? Yeah. So I feel like the biggest themes that I see when athletes come our way is, um, saying things like, uh, I have a massive wicked sweet tooth. Like they're constantly craving sugar. Um, they're, um, really tired all the time. Like there's just like chronic fatigue. They're getting done with their long workouts and they feel like they just are a zombie the rest of the day. Um, that's a big red flag for me. And actually one of like, and I don't know about you, Luke, but like when you have those first initial calls with like a potential client and they start like sharing with you what's going on, I get like super excited. <laughs> Like, I just like have to contain it all inside because I don't want them to think I'm some sort of weirdo, but I'm just like, I can see that potential for them. And I'm like, Oh, I, you are going to be a good one. Like, I know exactly what we're going to do with you. And you are going to feel so much better when you're all done. You know, I could think of one, uh, gal in particular, um, who came to us in like November, 2022, she's training for Boston marathon. She was a mom, had a young little girl. And she's like, I'm about to give up running. She goes, I am so tired of being exhausted all of the time. I feel like a terrible mom. I get done with my long runs in the weekend and she wants to do like arts and crafts. And I just want to like lay on the couch and nap all day long. She goes, I'm so I'm, she goes, I honestly don't know if I'm going to make it to Boston. And she's a pretty, pretty strong runner. And so I said, just give me like six weeks, like give us just like six to eight weeks. I think we can turn this around for you. And, on, and yeah, within a couple months, she had sent a message because I had saw, you know, that her 16 mile run had gone well. And then afterwards she had the energy to play with her daughter, do arts and crafts, get a little work done, clean her bathroom. And she still had like energy that evening. And she goes, I don't even care what happens at Boston this has been life-changing. And that to me is the best win from our clients than any other PR 
that they could achieve. Like, I love that part of that's so rewarding for me. And so like when, when I hear things like I'm tired all the time, I'm struggling with cravings. I, I get home in the evening and I just have no self-control over, you know, just eating everything in the kitchen. Um, you know, like those are some of the classic things that I hear where I'm like, Oh yeah, we can, we can fix that. Um, things I, like, I, I've just seen some gradual thing, waking. But I, I just see you like tapping your fingers. You're like, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're not motivated. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're performing <laughs> down. You feel like a trash can. Yeah. Step into my office. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm like, okay, yes, this is like, yeah. I, I do, I do it just like nerd out on this. And so when I, when I hear those kind of classic things, I also reassure them. I was like, I hear this all the time from people. Like you are not alone. Like, I just want to reassure you that this is not this is, you're not, you're not the only one that experiences this. And this is something that we can definitely work on. But I also tell them, Hey, you have to come into this program and you have to be willing to do the work. I can't do it for you. We are going to provide you with all of the feedback and support that we can provide you and help you get to where you need to be, but you have to be willing to practice this and apply it and be willing to make some mistakes here and there. And we're going to help figure out how to make this work for you. Um, and so that I think is very important too, is like, I can't help everyone. I can help only the people that want help. And so um, we really do have the most amazing clients. And I say we, because I have a team of dietitians now. Um, and so we truly do have like the best athletes. Like they come in, they want to feel better. And once we get them like, once they start feeling better, they're like, oh yeah, I never want to go back to the old way. Like this is, you know, Luke 2.0 and he's here to stay kind of thing. And, and yeah, so like once we get that vested interest in them, like they're, they're ready to go. They're ready to stick with it. And we usually tell them like, we're, there's still so much more we can do. There's so much more potential for us to reach. And this is going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, this whole concept of newbie gains applies to so many different populations. A lot of times, you know, the, the clientele that I work with mostly, we're going to do more hypertrophy training. Maybe we do some hybrid stuff, getting, uh, do some cardio, do some, F, you know, uh, different forms of, uh, exercise besides getting into the gym, getting stronger and trying to build muscle. Newbie gains is usually thrown around in that context of like, oh yeah, people see quick progress, right? There's a lot of neurological adaptations that start to happen. There's a lot of uh, uh, muscle that can be built in the very beginning when this stimulus is so new and you get enough protein, you're eating differently, you're having more, um, maybe carbohydrates, you're getting enough calories, like you're getting all these things dialed in. But I see that a lot in the endurance athletes as well, uh, especially for the people who maybe they aren't lifting at all and they go and they start working with a coach and they're doing weights or some type of explosive training, or they're just like getting some weights in their hands one, two days a week. And that's something that can increase their performance. Right. Um, like you said, dialing in some of the nutrition pieces, maybe timing around, uh, when we're training, eating enough on recovery days, being able to like put all of these pieces together. Like there's a lot of quick progress to be made in that short term. And like that client you worked with that was, you know, training for the marathon, like the newbie gains sometimes could just be in the form of you having enough energy to do things other than the sports that you're playing or other than the type of training yeah. you're doing. And I think well, that's and that really helps cool. body comp too. Like if you're more, exactly. if you have more energy throughout the day, you're going to be more active. And that is, that is beneficial for body comp. And also things like 
improved nutrition also helps your sleep. And that also is associated with improved body comp. Uh, it helps you regulate your hormones better. You know, like there's so many other aspects too that nutrition can imp- improve that also impacts body comp and energy levels and performance. So it's really this like holistic approach, even though I really kind of hate that kind of holistic term. It really truly is like a full body systematic improvement that that happens when you're optimizing that nutrition. Yeah, exactly. And we're kind of, I want to pivot a little bit keeping on the topic we're talking about nutrition training, all these good things. Um, we're kind of dancing around this idea of like, um, different seasons of your sport are going to require different things, right? We can maybe go for more muscle gain, more fat loss in certain phases. Maybe we're not focusing on body recomp. We're letting that happen as a side effect, if anything happens at all, but we're feeling the shit out of your body for the marathon or whatever, you know, uh, race you have coming up. Um, but man, we have, you know, the Olympics coming up this summer in France, like a lot of cool summer sports, things that are, you know, uh, more related to maybe the work that we do, a lot of the running competitions, all these endurance sports. Um, it's a really exciting time. Um, what I find is that a lot of times when these cool events happen or they get into the sport and they see people performing at a high levels, I think they're doing that all the time. Um, and, and, I say that not knowing, I'm curious to your response to that, if you see that as well, but there's always this fundamental like, Hey, let's get all these. Again, we talk about knobs, right? Let's get these turned up to a certain capacity. We're going to be turning those up more or less, depending on what season of life that you're in or what, what, you know, what the, uh, um, training demands go up as we prep for this race and the different training modalities that we do in the in season and the off season. But all that being said, I just, I want to get across this point that we're not going to be doing the same thing all the time. Most likely, yes, there's going to be a lot of overlap with basics, things that we do principles that we lean on in all situations, but man, we might be increasing calories. We might be increasing, um, uh, training days. We might be decreasing some of those things in different times of the year, increasing training volume and how much weight you're lifting. Like there's so many different inputs that can go into this, but I'm curious, um, one, if you've noticed that with your athletes, that they're just like, I want to go, go, go all the time. And if you have to have the conversation of like, Hey, let's take a step back or let's appreciate the season that we're in so we can prep for what your future goals are kind of thing. Um, and not to compound this question so much, but like, what is your response to that? Or how do you kind of talk about, you know, Hey, these are the things that are important, but this is the stuff that you can expect to change if, and when we go into these different seasons, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So most of our athletes do some sort of periodization with their training, whether it's they're in their in-season, their um, off-season, pre-season, wherever they're kind of at. And also like depending on their goals and priorities. So like if they come into the program, um, you know, end of fall, early beginning of the year, um, a lot of times they're kind of in an off-season because there isn't usually as many events going on. And so I'm like, okay, let's prioritize body comp right now. And then as you get into your you know, preseason in season, we're going to shift you to fueling for performance. You can see the differences between those two, or maybe they're, you know, already in their training blocks and we're like, okay, yep. We're going to prioritize fueling for performance. We might see some body comp during that, but it's not our top priority. Then as you finish your a race, let's shift to an off season and we'll show you what it looks like to start 
prioritizing body comp fully. And so that's something we do definitely have a conversation with them about. There is a little bit of an exception with some of our ultra runners. I have had a few of them where they are literally all year round ready to do some sort of 50 K run. Like they just are always constantly training and running. And there is like their off season is like five days long. I mean, is they're insane. Um, they're lovely people, but, um, they're just a little, little bit different in terms of like that, you know, uh, in their sport where they're always, yeah, yeah, I mean, (laughs) they're lovely, but it is, I mean, maybe someday I'll be one of them, but, um, so I don't want to say like too many bad things, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that for them is like, okay, you're, you don't really have an off season. So let's, you know, shift gears and what's that going to look like for you, um, in terms of just optimizing nutrition. And then hopefully over time, your body adapts to, you know, getting leaner, if that's something that they need to do where, I mean, we can think of a couple ultra distance runners that we had who are plant-based and wanting to lose some weight. And they just were eating so much, um, nuts and seeds and nut butters that their fat intake and their fiber intake was insane. And so we had to kind of rearrange some of their protein sources that way, um, to kind of optimize nutrition for them. Um, and also I think their iron was super low. Um, that was another thing that we looked at was their ferritin levels. And so, yeah, there's always something that we're, we're looking at with them and, in terms of like their schedule, their priorities, and just helping align their nutrition with that and providing them with the tools to be able to have that clarity and understanding so that they can take that with them for life. Cause that's the thing about endurance athletes is that they want to do this forever, you know, as long as their body will allow them to. And so I want to be able to preserve their health so that they have longevity in their sport, that they can be that badass 70 year old still out there on the race course and rocking it, you know, for, like I said, as many years as they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, it's like, this all applies to the, the casual, you know, uh, endurance athlete that does runs on the weekends with a running group to the intermediate person that maybe like yourself at one point you started that way. And then you just kind of dove in and maybe you're not like a semi-pro level you're not competing for like money yeah that's the thing like Like, you can still be a mediocre athlete and be that back of the packer but you can still put in the training I mean you still can put like tons of training in I mean for me even though I wasn't super fast there was still you know weeks I was doing 18 hours of training I mean that's a lot of training uh that you have to do to, to to train for these big endurance events and so you're just because you aren't fast doesn't mean you're not worthy of of fueling like an athlete. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I think, uh, yeah, a lot of times people get this mindset that they're like, Oh, I'm not like a professional athlete, so I don't have to take this as seriously or, or, you know, maybe the, the, the incentive for me to do these things is to just finish these races and feel really good about that. But man, there's a lot of room for improvement that we can do even within that. Um, and again, going through the different seasons that your sport has to offer or what you're able to give and not give, especially, you know, like yourself coming from a mom who maybe you were single or not single, but you didn't have any kids. And now you have three kids. And the thought of like, even giving 10 hours of training a week is unrealistic. Right. But it's just like letting that evolve over time, but also appreciating like, Hey, there's still things that I could do within this that can make this better, more enjoyable. And and like you said, keeping me in the game for longer, because that's the ultimate goal is being able to like help people create, um, kind of a mindset around, 
I'm doing this so I can enjoy what I do. I'm doing this because I enjoy what my body is able to do for me. And I want to do this as long as I can. And man, we can't do that for as long as we can. If, if injuries or uh, just fatigue of like running or doing your sport wears you out first, um, which again can like decrease the quality of your life in a lot of these situations. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of these people are parents and it's the one thing that they can do that's just for them. Yep. You know what I mean? Like that's, and that's what I think for me, I'm like, okay, to my husband, I'm like, I'm going to go for my 30 minute run. And it is, my kids are like, can I come with in the stroller? And I'm like, uh, no, this is mom's time with her friend to go running and vent about my marriage and my kids. You know what I mean? Like we just have that little mom time and I come back and I'm a happier person. And <laughs> so, yes, I have like four strollers, like running strollers, different varieties of running strollers in my garage, but they don't get used because it is mom time. And I think a lot of parents feel that way. It's like, that's, that's something that you do for yourself. And, um, we want you to be able to do that for as many years as you want. You tell us how far you want to go in a race and we will help you fuel for that. Um, but yeah, like that's, these are my people. It's totally my jam. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. Everything we've talked about has been great. It's kind of, uh, led me to this final thing that I want to uh, go into. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned to it, to you before. I don't do this super often, but man, sometimes doing some like rapid fire stuff, just shit we see in the space <laughs> can be fun. A good way to end the podcast, kind of sum it or, um, you know, summarize some of the things we talked about or tie things in together. Um, but if you have 10, 10 minutes, I'd love to, to ask you a few more questions. Yeah, let's do it. Some of the things that I see shit. I know you see, and just kind of, uh, some response and, and take the response wherever your brain goes as much or as little as you want to talk about some of these things. But the first thing that I have for you is this whole concept around intermittent fasting and endurance athletes. Um, I'm just going to leave. Well, I call it randomized starving. That's what I call it. Randomized starving. (laughs) Cause that's what it seems like to me. Um, I think that the only fasting that we need to do is the hours of sleep that we get at night. Um, it just does not work well with the, the training and lifestyle of an endurance athlete. Like it, it's a recipe for injury, sickness, uh, no performance gains likely not going to happen. And then also I think the worst part of intermittent fasting is it's a acceptable way for people to have disordered eating to starve themselves. I've actually had an athlete in particular. I did not take her on as athlete. I told her that she needed to go work with, uh, an eating disorder specialist because she potentially had anorexia. She, she was bragging to me about how long she could fast. And she thought that that was healthy. And I said, this is not healthy. So that is probably my biggest pet peeve about intermittent fasting is the people that use it as an excuse to not eat yeah. as part of an eating disorder or yeah. disordered eating problem. Yeah. And, uh, just some thoughts. I kind of, I won't do this for everything. We'll be here forever. But, uh, that's, that's a hard part about social media sometimes too, is like the inputs of, uh, information and the stimulus that people get from that, man, it can be kind of scary, especially for the population you work with. Like one of your athletes sees Joe Rogan doing a fucking 90 hour fast or whatever. And he looks shredded and people are like, Oh yeah. You know, that's what I, that's what I should do. Like I want to look like that. And I think that I could improve my performance doing that when man, in reality, it's probably the, the, the most harmful thing that you could do. And yeah, not to mention the relationship it, uh, how it destroys your relationship with food, but man, intermittent fasting is, uh, it's, it's, it's an adherence tool. 
It's not uh, uh, usually used in the world of performance. I don't know about you, but eating 3,200 calories in a six hour eating window sounds fucking miserable and nothing sounds is like a enjoyable. GI disaster. To be exactly. Honest. And honestly, I mean, not that we should compare ourselves to the pro athletes, but none of them are doing intermittent fasting. Like nope. it's not like, do not do it. Just yep. don't. Exactly. Which brings me to my next point, which is fasted workouts. So maybe not intermittent fasting in totality, but this whole concept of like, oh, I'll just do a fasted workout instead. Yeah. Um, typically I do not recommend those. Um, that's like just a recipe for like being a suffer fest of a workout. And in my mind, if you're going to be struggling through your workouts over and over, it really makes wanting to actually go out and work out and to get your training in like not very appealing. And so like, let's make them feel good and like enjoyable. And so I'm not a huge fan of faster workouts. That being said, like one of uh, my sports nutrition textbooks does have a, you know, a good point of like, you can do them every once in a while. If it's a very easy effort, you know, zone one, zone two type of workout. And if it's shorter, um, you know, I would say like less than 45 minutes, you could probably get away with it. Right. And be okay. It's not something you want to do consistently, but every once in a while I would be okay with it. But like I said, not something you want to do all the time. If it's a longer, harder effort workout, absolutely not. Um, but even like for me, like a 5.30 a.m. workout, if I don't have anything before the workout, that lasts like five, 10 minutes of my run, I'm like, ooh. I'm just like, this is, this is a bit of like, my legs feel kind of heavy. It's a bit of a trudge. Um, and then afterwards I don't feel super great. Whereas if I have like an applesauce pouch, which is not very much, just that little bit of like fresh energy before my workout, it sits really well in my stomach. That last five, 10 minutes, it's, I feel better. Like I really, truly do. And I have noticed that consistently. Um, I've used myself as a guinea pig. I'm like, yeah, there is just something about having just even a little bit of something that can support you feeling better. And it makes you actually want to continue to train when you feel good. Yep, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the super fancy creation, like those applesauce packets or half a banana or full banana, man. Like yeah, graham cracker. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I, I like that you bring that point up of like, Hey, we're doing like a 30 minute resistance training workout, hour resistance training workout. Like, and you work out at 6am before you take the kids to school before you start work. Like, yeah, that's probably not as big of a deal as running, you know, for an hour or an yeah. hour and a half. But if you notice towards the end, you're not able to kind of like, if you're really struggling with it, grab a little like fruit snack pack, like that your kids might usually like snack on. Like those things are delicious. It's like candy. And you might notice a little difference towards the end and be able to actually finish that workout strong, which is what we want. We want you to be able to train well, because that's what triggers those physical adaptations. You support recovery with nutrition and that's where we see consistent gains in performance. Yep. Which, uh, talking about carbs here brings me to my next point of, uh, this whole, like uh, low carb diet type of trend. Uh, even people labeling it as like, Oh, I'm just fat adapting, you know, so I can have more fuel or whatever. Like what are, what are some thoughts around like this whole, uh, I'm going to go low carb and be a really good endurance athlete. Yeah. So if you want to do that, um, I would not plan on having any kick at the end of your race. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to be like steady, eddy, low zone one, zone two, the whole time and not want to like, not feel like you have a lot of power on the Hills, 
not want to have to kick it and sprint to the end. Yeah, you can go ahead and do that. You might smell, I might have some bad like keto breath, but like go for it, right? But if you want to have sufficient energy, be able to finish strong, um, you know, get on the podium, carbs are going to be your most efficient, best option in order to do that. Um, because when you're going to up the ante and in terms of like being at a higher VO2 max, like you need to, you need to have those carbs as energy. So yeah, yeah carbs are, carbs are king. Speaking of uh, upping the ante. Okay. Well, maybe you have somebody it's like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. I get, I get carbs are great. Um, but added sugars are bad. Like there's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dip my world. Oh, it has 10 grams of added sugar. Like, no, I got to put that back. Got to be only natural forms of sugar. Like what are kind of some thoughts that come from that? Yeah. So the people that are really into like the clean diets where it's like, no, like minimal ingredients, no processed food, like minimally processed foods only. Um, what we find with those athletes, um, when they come in and they're like, I eat very clean and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty certain you're going to be under fueled. They probably have issues with like bloating and gas because they're eating so much whole foods and so much fiber that it's just, it's really difficult on the gut to do that and to train. Um, so we have to, some, because they have such high energy needs with the, with our, you know, pretty ultra endurance athletes. Um, we have to use some processed foods in order to just get enough calories in them. Um, because like they're busy too. Like they don't like who has time to cook all of your meals from scratch and all of your snacks from scratch. And like, it's just so time consuming and exhausting to try and get enough to get like 3,200 calories of all clean, like whole foods, like that's impossible. And that's a lot on your system. So it just, we, we need to have a balance. We need to have a balance. It's not that I'm saying all you're going to eat is processed foods. Let's have a balance. Let's have some whole foods, some processed foods when it's strategic and we need those extra calories. And then say kumbaya and be on our way. Yep. Which uh, brings me to the last question, which is, because we're talking about like kind of relationship with food and kind of how we view food and, and talk about uh, some of the tendencies that some people can have or bringing diet culture into their, their kind of like uh, training, their performance kind of pursuits, this whole philosophy around eating less on rest days compared to eating more on training days what comes to mind for you or what, what kind of conversations do you have with people where people are like, Oh, I cut my calories a lot. Cause I'm not training that day. I'm not burning that much energy. Like where do yeah, you, yeah, where, where people are thinking they have to earn their calories yep. with endurance athletes, especially, um, a rest day is all about recovery. It's, I mean, cause you're training day after day, you're putting in long hours of, of exercise. And so that rest day is all about optimizing nutrition to reload glycogen levels, to help repair and rebuild those muscles, get that inflammation and stress down. And if you're going into that rest day and you're restricting, there's not a lot of recovery happening. Right. And so you're just going to go into the next day being like, maybe I do need another rest day. I'm just not really quite feeling ready to get back into training. That's what like a lot of people are like, I have to take an extra rest day because I'm just so tired still. And I'm like, well, if we had optimized nutrition and we had you eating more on rest days, you would feel like we exponentially better. 
uh, that next day and you'd be ready to start training again. So you have to think of optimizing nutrition on rest days for recovery. So it might be depending on what your training was like prior, prior, you know, if you came off like a really high training block, I'm thinking of like an Ironman athlete where they did like, um, you know, big long swim on Friday, six, eight hour bike ride on Saturday, then their long 18, 20 mile run on Sunday. And then Monday was their rest day. Oh, you bet your ass. I'm going to have them like fueling like a beast with full on meals, snacks all day long, hitting the carbs, reloading those glycogen levels because they need it after that, like big training block. But if you know, you're, you're still like in those really early stages of your training. Yeah. Your rest day, you can, you don't have to have as many carbs that day because you don't have to fuel around that workout necessarily. So that's a little different. So you have to kind of think of it from that individualized standpoint, but thinking that you have to earn your calories is a really the wrong way to look at it. You have to think of how do I need to eat to feel my body best for where I'm at in my training? Yep. For sure. Yeah. Thank you for all that. Really well thought out. Uh, I have a list of probably 50 others here that I could answer or uh, ask you, but we'll, we'll end it there. We'll save that for a future date. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I will link everything where to find you all that in the, the show notes, but tell people again, where you're at, what you're doing, what you're up to uh, plug anything and everything you got. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm Alex Larson nutrition. So Alex nutrition.com is my website. I've got a really, um, good blog there as well. We last year, we spent a huge amount of time, um, putting tons of really great content on there. I think last year alone, 2023, we put in 66 articles on there. Like it's, it is, it is awesome. So, um, check out our material there. And then on social, I'm at Alex Larson nutrition, mostly on Instagram. Um, but some of that content also is on Facebook as well. Um, is where I spend most of my social time, but, um, starting to slowly add some more YouTube videos as well. I do a little endurance eat series where my team and I will talk about different endurance topics. Um, and that's been really fun as well. Love it. Thank you, Alex. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.